You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. This is it, church family. We are at the end. And some of you were just being so loving and kind. You missed the bumper video for the last time. It's gone. We're never seeing it again. It's over. It's over. You missed it. Well, hey, church family, I'm so glad to see all of you. See some faces I haven't seen in a while, and it's amazing. I love it. Um, but yes, this is the, the last week in our Better series where we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Um, it's been about five months that we've gone through this book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, and if you're joining us this week for the first time in the series, it's kind of like you're reading the end of the book before you read. The, anybody do that? Like you like to read the last chapter before you read the beginning? That is horrible. But anyways, this is a judgment-free zone. Um, so this is the last week going through Hebrews, at least for now. This book is so important that we're going to reference it and go back to it time and time again, okay? Um, but as we finish Hebrews today, um, we're going to go over all of chapter 13. Um, and you can even turn there in your Bibles right now if you'd like. Um, but as we finish Hebrews today, I want you to think back on the past five months and begin to ask the question, what have I learned? What have I learned? What have I gained from going through this book? How has the book of Hebrews made me a better follower of Jesus? How has my faith grown? How have I matured? Okay? Um, but probably a more important question to ask, all right, listen, is how will my way of living change now that I know what I know from the book of Hebrews? Now that I have an even better understanding of who Jesus is, um, how is that going to influence the way that you live? Because everything we've talked about over the past five months, it's going to mean nothing if it doesn't lead to better living as a follower of Jesus. Everything we've talked about will remain just uh, good ideas or, or good theology to think about. Right? Everything will just stay in our minds unless we allow the truth of Hebrews to influence our way of life and in turn influence the world around us for the better. Okay, because ultimately, understanding that Jesus is better shouldn't just influence us for the better, but it should influence the world around us for the better. And I believe that the author of Hebrews is aware of this. Um, but it's like the author of Hebrews saved application for the very last chapter of the entire book. As we go through Hebrews chapter 13 this morning, it's going to seem like the author has so much more to say, but so little time to say it. Like that person who only has 1% or 2% left on their battery, on their phone, and they're trying to say everything they can until the phone dies, right? That's kind of what's happening in this last chapter. 
Um, the author of Hebrews packs this last chapter with so much. Um, and I'll be eye and honest, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, he goes from talking about hospitality to caring for prisoners, uh, to marriage and sex, to money, to leadership, to tabernacle, right? And I, if I'm honest, this last chapter is kind of hard to make sense of at times, okay? Um, but going over what I just said, without chapter 13, which is all application, the rest of the book just remains good thoughts, uh, just good theology, so even though chapter 13 is all over the place, we're going to stick with it this morning because we need to know how to apply chapters 1 through 12. Amen? And so in a nutshell, what the author tells us in chapter 13 is that we must use the first 12 chapters to help us live on mission. Help us to live on mission. And our mission as followers of Jesus is to continue his mission of making the world better. Everybody say better. It's the last Sunday in our better series. So I'm going to say it a lot just so it sticks in our brains, all right? It's, it's our job, our mission is to go with Jesus in making the world better, of, of helping usher in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's the mission of God, the mission of Jesus. Uh, Miguel, a couple weeks ago, he talked about the mission of God and how it's verbal, it's personal, and it's urgent. Well, I just want to add to that and say that the mission of God is also just better. The mission of God is better than any other mission in the world, better than your works mission, whatever that is, better than uh, a political mission, whatever that is. The mission of God is just better. Um, it's better than any other mission. It will lead to making the world a better place, better than any other mission. And it's a mission that we're all called to continue. It didn't stop with Jesus. And because we know that Jesus is better, I mean, we've spent 21 weeks talking about how Jesus is better. Because we know that, we are the ones who are best equipped to continue his mission. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and the title of today's message is Living on Mission. But before we jump into the passage, can we just pray one more time? God, we thank you for what you're already doing in this place. We thank you that you are present with us, that you are speaking to each one of us. God, I believe that, yes, as I'm speaking, that you will have um, application for every individual here. It may be in line with what I'm speaking. God, you may have something completely different you want to share with somebody today. But no matter the case, God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice. Help us to know how we're supposed to live. And church family, just right where you are, would you say, God, I'm here. God, I'm open to whatever you want to do in my life. Help me to receive it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen? All right, so before we jump into chapter 13, again, you can go ahead and turn there um, to the book of Hebrews. Open your digital Bible on your phone. Um, grab your physical Bible. We love honoring the word of God here, okay? Um, so get your Bible out, chapter 13. Um, but we need to remember that Jesus came to the world, or that when Jesus came to the world, he didn't come to just hang out, right? He wasn't just visiting earth to see how it's going, Right? He, he didn't come to bring wrath and destruction on a sinful, hopeless world. No, he came to make the world a better place. 
and to put things in their proper place like they were when God created the world originally. And when Jesus, listen, when Jesus recruited other people to follow him, he didn't recruit them just to believe in him as the son of God so that they could escape the world and go to heaven one day. No, he recruited people to partner. Everybody say partner. To partner with him in his mission of making the world a better place, of ushering in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And when you commit to following Jesus, when you say, I want to be a Christian, that's what you're committing to also. Okay, there are too many people in the world who profess to being followers of Jesus, but they have no understanding of their part in the mission of Jesus. They think being a Christian is about escaping hell and going to heaven one day. They think being a Christian is primarily about self. They, they think following Jesus is a weekend hobby that they do on Sundays. Then it's back to normal life Monday through Saturday. No. Listen, when people said yes to following Jesus during his time, they knew exactly what they were signing up for. And going to heaven wasn't even on their minds. No, transforming earth, bringing heaven to earth was on their minds. Seeing God's kingdom and God's rule and reign on the earth was on their minds. They had the king of heaven invading and conquering earth on their minds. Does that sound too radical? Maybe for us kind of weakened Christians in this modern era. No, they believe that Jesus was going to defeat the Roman Empire and take over the world. And they were right to think that. But how Jesus would invade and conquer and rule and reign, that's what they didn't quite understand yet. And so they understood the what, but they didn't understand the how. And so Jesus' life was all about making the world a better place and showing people how to make the world a better place and how to usher in his kingdom on earth. Jesus' life was about living on mission and showing others how to live on mission too. That's what you sign up for when you say yes to Jesus. And there are many people, many Christians, who are bored with their faith. They find church boring. They find reading the Bible, prayer, worship boring. Going to, to small groups, going to growth group, oh, it's, I'm bored with that. Right? Their, their faith is more of an afterthought, something they dabble in on the weekends or when they feel like it. And that's because, listen, they aren't engaging in the mission of Jesus. If you are, are engaging in the mission of Jesus and making the world a better place and helping to usher in the kingdom of God to earth, there is no way that you can be bored with your faith. It's impossible. Think about it this way. Do you think Jesus was ever bored in his life? When you look at his life, his amazing life in the gospels, do you think he was bored when you read the book of Acts and the letters in the New Testament, do you think the disciples in the early church were bored? No, because they were constantly engaging in the mission of Jesus. They never stopped. But if you find that you're growing bored with your faith, I'm sorry, you're doing it wrong. If you're bored with your faith, something is wrong, and it probably has to do with that you're not engaging in the mission of Jesus. 
And that isn't a condemnation. That's just, we all have to realize where we are sometimes so we can get to a better place. And that's what we're going to do today. Right? The mission of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is about engaging in his mission, making the world a better place, ushering in the kingdom of God to earth. So, what does that look like? What does it look like to live on mission? Well, that's what Hebrews 13 is all about. All right, Hebrews 13 is about taking what we've learned from chapters 1 through 12 about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and using that to understand how to live on mission. And like I said earlier, it really is as if the author knew he was running out of time or maybe he was running out of parchment paper or ink or something like that and he had to write everything down as quickly as possible. Um, He had to fit so much. And so when we read Hebrews 13, it seems disjointed and random, but we're going to make sense of it this morning. Uh, and, And the initial sense that I get from the beginning of the chapter is that living on mission is primarily about relationship. Living on mission is primarily about relationship. Chapter uh, 13, verse 1, I don't have it on the screen for you, but it says, let brotherly love continue. If you've been meaning to memorize scripture, this is the easiest one right there, all right? Let brotherly love continue. You can spout that one off and look, I memorize scripture, okay? Um, Let brotherly love continue. He's saying, take everything you've learned from the previous chapters about who Jesus is and what he's done, and let brotherly love continue. And this models Jesus' life perfectly. Right? When Jesus came, his followers thought the mission was about revolution. But Jesus modeled that the mission was about relationship. Not changing the world through mass revolution, but through one relationship after another. Through loving people well and laying your life down for them. That's how Jesus started to change the world. And that's how we make the world a better place and usher in the kingdom of God. So it first starts with relationship, right? So what does that loving and sacrificial relationship look like? Let's keep reading. Verse 2 says this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, I think what sticks out most to us in this verse is the idea that when we show hospitality to strangers, we might be entertaining angels. Think about that. It's a pretty cool thought to have. Have you had angels in your house? Have you fed them a meal? Have you allowed them to crash on your couch or use your restroom? Right? We don't know. That's the unawares part. Right? But what's more important, I think, in this verse that gets missed is the showing hospitality to strangers part. In the Greek, hospitality to strangers is actually just one word. Um, it's philoxenia. Okay? And it's a compound word made of two Greek words. The first Greek word is philos. And that means, do you know? Friend. Friend. And then xenos, which means stranger or foreigner. So this showing hospitality to strangers is really two opposite words smashed together, which is interesting when you think about it. And so what this means is that in ancient Greek language, showing hospitality is making friends out of strangers. Making friends out of foreigners making friends out of people who are not like you. 
And so the mission of loving and sacrificial relationship isn't just about relationship with other believers who are like you. It's about relationship with unbelievers who are nothing like you. Question, how many unbelieving friends do you have in your life? That's a fun one to wrestle with and think about. How many unbelieving friends who probably have wildly different views and values than you have you invited to your house for dinner or taken out to lunch or invited to an afternoon coffee? This is challenging, isn't it? Right? It's, it's easy to invite friends from church over for dinner. It's easy to, to sacrificially love and serve people who love Jesus like we do. And sometimes when we do that and, and we do this hospitality thing really where we're like, I have the gift of hospitality. I'm really rocking this hospitality thing. No, you're not. You're not. True hospitality, according to scripture, is making friends out of people who are nothing like you and who don't believe like you. And isn't that what Jesus did also? Right? He hung out with and went after people who weren't like him, who weren't holy and righteous, who weren't clean and perfect. No, he went after the sinners, the unclean, the broken, the hurting, the sick, because they are the ones who needed him the most. Listen, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ don't need your hospitality as much as your next door neighbor who doesn't know Jesus does. Your brothers and sisters in Christ already know the love of Jesus, but your lost classmate, or that lost parent who takes their kids to the same school as yours, they don't. And part of the mission of Jesus, part of living on mission, is building relationship, but also showing hospitality to people who are not like you, so that you can sacrificially love them like Jesus loves them. Are you catching what I'm throwing this morning? All right. How else do we live on mission? Starts with relationship. And then showing hospitality to strangers. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 says this. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Another way we live on mission is by caring for the oppressed and mistreated. Caring for the oppressed and mistreated. Now, in the context of Hebrews, like we've been reading, the author is talking about remembering those who have been imprisoned or mistreated because of their faith in Jesus. Right? That was more common during his time, but not so much today, right? At least not in America. Not yet, anyways. So we might not know anyone who is imprisoned because of their faith, but we all know people who are oppressed and mistreated. We all know people who are suffering and struggling in life. We all drive by the people who are holding the signs on the side of the street asking for money. We all know people who are oppressed by various forms of addiction and bondage. We all know kids who are already at a disadvantage in life because they maybe are living in a single parent home or they don't have the same kind of resources as others. And sure, we could get into all of the finer details about why people are oppressed. We can talk that at length about how sometimes it's not the best idea to give money to the person standing on the street because it actually could lead to more harm than, than good. We can talk and talk about the welfare system and education and politics when it comes to the reasons why people are oppressed and mistreated. And sometimes those conversations are important. 
But if all we do is talk about it and never do anything about it, to serve the oppressed and the mistreated, then we are failing at that part of the mission of Jesus. Verse 3 says, remember those who are in prison and mistreated. And that doesn't mean just think about them. No, the Greek word for remember here can also be translated as care for. It's an action. Care for. And again, isn't that what Jesus modeled for us in his life of mission? He cared for and served the oppressed and mistreated. Listen, he met their needs first, no matter the circumstances of how they got in their circumstances, and then he shared truth and love and guidance with them. Think about the adulterous woman who was about to be stoned for her sins by the religious leaders. Did Jesus say, now if only you had made better decisions, if only you had done the right thing, you wouldn't be in this situation, young lady. No, he stood up for her. He protected her. He cared for her. Now, he didn't disregard her sin. No, he told her afterward, go and sin no more. But what did he do first? He remembered her. He cared for her. And we're called to do the same as part of living on mission. Right? Remember, care for the oppressed and mistreated. So what are they again? Primarily starts with a relationship. And it's about showing hospitality to strangers. And then it's about caring for the oppressed and the mistreated. That's, that's the mission so far. Let's keep reading the next three verses. Verses four through six. They say, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, verses four through six, I'll be honest, they seem out of place, don't they? Right? What does this have to do with talking about living on mission Right, because these verses talk about marriage, more specifically sex, and money. What do those have to do with living on mission? Well, the author, he's using marriage and money to speak to the greater topic of contentment. Everybody say contentment. When you are content with what you have, with the spouse that you have, the money and materials that you have, with the status of your life that you have, your contentment will help you stay on mission. Your contentment will help you stay on mission. But when you are not content, when you are married but you desire someone else, when you are single but you seek sexual intimacy outside of marriage, when when you have possessions and resources but you just want more and more and more, it's never enough, that lack of contentment, listen, will distract you from living on mission, right? That lack of contentment will cause you to lose focus on what's most important and lead you away from the mission of Jesus. And so being content is about mostly not just being content with what you have. It's being content in your understanding of who God is in your life. That's where it starts. Because our infinite and loving God the passage says, we'll never leave you or forsake you. Right? He is always with you, meaning that you have God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe with you at all times. 
And not only do you have God at all times, but it says the Lord is your helper. He's not just sitting back looking at you flounder. No, he's your helper. He sustains you and provides for you and cares for you. And so the more content with who God is and who God is for you, the more you trust God to satisfy and fulfill and provide for you, the less your desires will stray towards sin and immorality, which will keep you from staying on mission. So if you want to stay on mission and to not be distracted by other things and other people, learn to be content with what you have. Learn to be satisfied and content with who God is and who God is for you. Amen? Let's keep reading. Verses 7 and 17. I told you it's all over the place, but we're trying to piece it together, okay? Um, verse 7 and 17, they go together. Verse 7 says this. Remember your leaders. There's that word again, remember. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jump down to verse 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Another tool that we have for helping us live on mission are our spiritual leaders. This isn't just talking about any leaders. This is talking specifically about spiritual leaders. The men and women of God who teach us about him who disciple and guide us in our faith, who lay their lives down for us so that we can grow and mature. Listen, none of us grow and mature and progress in our faith on our own. None of us. Every single one of us can point to at least one person who had a direct positive influence on us in our faith. No one can say, I got here in my faith all on my own. Doesn't happen. No, we all have someone, and they are spiritual leaders in our lives. And so verse 7 and 17 are saying, remember and obey those leaders. Now, the Greek word for remember here is different than the word he used for remember earlier. Now, remember here is more of like just keeping them on your mind, thinking about how they lived, right? Or as the, the next part of verse 7 says, it says, consider them. And imitate their faith. It says we're also to obey them, which requires that we submit to their leading and guiding. And so the author is saying spiritual leaders are a gift for helping us live on mission. Remember them. All right, but what I also like about these two verses is that the author also gives us some qualifications to this title of spiritual leader. Right? A leader, a spiritual leader, he says, is someone who bears good fruit in their lives. Right? Their way of life has a positive outcome. They not only preach, but they practice what they preach. They not only disciple and teach you how to follow Jesus, but they actually follow Jesus themselves. They don't just say, hey, live on mission, but they actually live on mission. Right? That's what consider the outcome of their way of life means in verse 7. What else? Spiritual leaders are also people who care just as much for the well-being of your soul as they do theirs, if not more, even to a fault sometimes. Right? They practice their leadership in humility, 
knowing that one day they will have to answer to God and give an account for the way that they led. Don't envy spiritual leaders so much all the time because spiritual leaders are held to a higher standard. They're judged to a higher standard than others. That's what verse 17 means. And then in verses 8 through 12, we're trying to get through these. We're not going to read them. But they show an example of people during the author's time who called themselves spiritual leaders, but they were leading people in the way of the old covenant and away from the new covenant, away from Jesus. They were the, the Jewish temple priests and religious leaders who were encouraging these Hebrews, these Jewish Christians to renounce Jesus as the Messiah and to come back to practicing Judaism again. And so the author says their way of life and their way of worship isn't leading to good fruit. It's actually doing absolutely nothing for them. So why would you follow them? And so I make these, these notes or of these qualifications um, to help us understand something that I think has been lost in the church, unfortunately. Because someone who has the title of pastor or teacher or leader, just because they have that title does that mean that they truly are? And if someone says that they are a spiritual leader in your life, but they don't meet the qualifications that we just read in 17 and 7, then you have no obligation to trust them as spiritual leaders. A lot of abuse has happened in the church because people have said, I'm a spiritual leader, but they didn't bear any fruits. They didn't truly care for their people's souls. You know, I would even say just because... I have the title of pastor here at CCA. Just because Annette has the title of pastor here at CCA doesn't mean that you have to automatically trust us as your pastors. I believe that the title of pastor or spiritual leader isn't just given, it's earned. And so I will never assume that I am your pastor, even if you come to our church. I will only identify as someone's pastor if they first identify me as their pastor. And even then, I hope they only do that after measuring the fruit in my life. Right? But again, whoever you identify as your spiritual leader, whether that's a, a spouse, hey, that's okay if your spouse is your spiritual leader, okay? If it's your spouse or a parent, kids, that's okay too. Or, or a spiritual parent, a pastor, a teacher, whoever, they are gifts. They are tools given to help you live on mission. And if they bear fruit, if they truly care for your soul, then why wouldn't you trust and follow their leadership to help you live on mission? And so as a little added note in verse 17, um, the author says, let your leaders lead you with joy and not with groaning, for that would be a disadvantage to you. Now, that's the author's just nice, kind way of saying, um, don't be a pain in the butt to the people you look up to as spiritual leaders. Don't give them a hard time. That wouldn't be good for you. All right? There's just a little side note. He said it, not me. Okay? We'll keep going. All right, so the, the final bit of advice that the author gives to help us live on mission is found in verses 13 through 16. Let's read those. Those verses say... Therefore, let us go to him outside. He's talking about Jesus. Let us go to Jesus who is outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The final bit of advice the author gives is to have a mission mentality. Have a mission mentality. What I've noticed in the church, the capital C church in general over the years, is that the model and mentality of mission, the model and mentality of doing what Jesus did, has primarily happened within the four walls of the church buildings. There's this idea of what's called attractional ministry. Maybe you've heard of that before. Where in attractional ministry, the goal is for the church to look really good and to do really cool things so that people will want to attend the church and be a part of it. And hopefully, if we can attract those people into the church, they'll hear the gospel, they'll encounter Jesus, and they'll start following him. And I believe attractional ministry has had fruit over the years. Absolutely, there are people who come to know Jesus and follow him because of those ministries. But when I read verses 13 through 16, I don't see attractional ministry or mission. I don't see people coming to church to meet Jesus. I see the church going to people to introduce them to Jesus. Do you see the difference? Because what does verse 13 say? This really is the crux of it all. It says, go to him. Go to Jesus who is outside the camp. What is the camp? What does that mean? Well, I don't have time to to go into detail to explain that um, because it also relates to verses 8 through 12, which we didn't read. (laughs) Um, But trust me when I say that for us, the camp is the same as this building right here. The camp is the same thing as whatever church you attend, the four walls of the church. And what we see modeled for us in Jesus' life is that, yes, he did go to the synagogues, the, the places of worship to teach about the kingdom of God, because that is important. But he primarily went outside the camp, so to speak. He went out into the streets. He went out into the fields to live on mission and to seek and save the lost. And when Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross, did you know that that sacrifice happened outside the camp? It happened outside the holy city of Jerusalem. And so where did Jesus primarily live on mission? Outside the camp. And for us in our modern context, that means outside the church. Not that mission doesn't happen inside the church, okay? I think we get that. But let's take a quick poll, shall we? By a show of hands, how many of us are followers of Jesus? Don't be shy, it's not a trick question. How many of us are followers of Jesus? There you have it. So are the lost, are the unbelieving inside the camp? Or are the people that we are called to share the gospel of Jesus with outside the camp? Where are they? Where is our mission field then? Outside the camp. And if we are followers of Jesus, what does it say? Follow Jesus. Go where? Wherever Jesus is. Where is Jesus? Yes, he's here, but he's also out there. And sometimes we just want to stay in here, but he's saying, no, you need to go outside the camp. Live on mission outside the camp, at work, at school, in our neighborhoods. That's what kind of mission mentality we need to have. 
This passage also tells us that we should have a nothing to lose kind of mentality. Verse 14 talks about us not having a lasting city, which means that there's nothing here on this earth, no thing, no person even that we possess that is worth trying to hold on for dear life because it's all eventually going to fade and pass away and decay over time. We don't have a lasting city is what he's saying, but we seek a city that is to come. Our rewards, our heavenly treasures and possessions, they are secure for us in heaven and they can never be destroyed or taken away from us. So when it comes to living on mission here on earth, what do we have to lose? When it comes to telling people about Jesus and showing them uh, our faith, what do we have to lose? If we have the right mission mentality, then we have nothing to lose. And so if we have the right missional mentality, then there should be absolutely nothing holding us back, keeping us from professing to the world that Jesus is king. There should be nothing holding us back, keeping us from doing good and living a life of sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of those around us. We just have to have the right mission mentality. We have to understand that the mission is primarily out there, outside of the camp, not in here, and that we have nothing to lose. Now listen, let me, let me qualify that. We have nothing to lose that is more valuable or precious than what we will gain in the life to come. It's about priorities, what's most important to you. You can think, yeah, I have, I have so much to lose, but it's not worth what we have in heaven. And then in verses 18 through 25, we're going to wrap this up. The author shares his closing remarks. Okay, we're not going to read that last passage. I, should, you, I recommend you go and read it yourself. But in his closing remarks, he emphasizes in verse 21. Let's bring that verse up. He says that everything he said, everything he shared about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that he's better, right, is ultimately to equip, everybody say equip, Equip us with everything good that we need so that we may do the will of God, which is to live on mission, to partner with Jesus in making the world a better place by ushering his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. Whew. Did I tell you or did I tell you that the author was all over the place, right? But we did it. We made our way through it, right? And I think we all see that, that knowing that Jesus is better is so that the world can be better. Not just you, but the world as a whole. And so what I want to do right now is um, we're going to end the series. And Stephanie, can you come on up? It's time for us to, to internalize what we've talked about today. Do not leave this place without having seriously thought about how this message applies to your life. And so what I'd like for you to do is, we'll even dim the lights a little bit, is just assume a posture of reflection right now. What does that look like for you? Maybe that's just closing your eyes and bowing your head. Maybe you need to stand so you don't fall asleep in the, the dark and warm church, okay? Maybe you need to kneel down in front of you. Whatever you need to do, enter into a posture of reflection right now. And I'm gonna lead this reflection time with a bunch of questions. And I'll read them slowly and we'll pause in between. But ask God to speak to you and reveal to you 
what it looks like for you to live on mission through these questions. And the first question we all really need to wrestle with is, have you grown bored with your faith? follow-up question to that is then, well, are you living on mission? Are you living on mission? Next question, are you building relationship with people? And not just fellow believers, but unbelievers? Are you showing hospitality or making friends out of strangers, people who are different than you? What is your part? What are you doing in caring for the oppressed and mistreated? Are you content with who and what you have? Or is your discontentment distracting you from the mission? the spiritual leaders in your life that you're looking up to who will help you stay on mission? And finally, are you keeping the right mission mentality? pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that you have shown and revealed throughout this book and even just in our own lives that you are better. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.